0: So guys, that if, you're, if, if some of you are planning on being at the Men's Retreat, that means that means that when we wake up and it's, I don't know, 6 in the morning and they say, wake up and get out of these cabins because we're supposed to check out really early Sunday morning to be here and uh, so it'll really be 5 in the morning. So we're going to have to support each other to wake up in the morning. And get up, everybody will bring like a megaphone or something to help with that process. We won't do that. We won't do that. Well, this is our second week into this series, and we began last week t- looking at this message series on the pressure points that we face in life, and this just part of life. Pressure is the part of life. No matter how you duck and dive and swerve and move, you're you're going to deal with pressure. There's no way around it. And so gaining perspective, the right perspective, is absolutely critical to move forward in life. And so we're working our way through the book of James. It's It's a New Testament book. It is not... Like we mentioned last week, it is not a difficult book to understand. So when you read some books of the Bible, you have to kind of reread it and reread it and read it to get your sometimes to get your mind around what he's saying. James is it's is not difficult to understand, but it's extremely difficult and challenging to apply the book of James. The the perspective that he gives is very challenging to get into our lives. But if you do, it really changes you. It changes the way you see things, the way you live. And so James, uh he the author is the is the half-brother of Jesus. He, he wants us to be able to see Jesus up close and personal. Because after all, if you grow up with someone, you get to see things that no one else does. You, you get a unique vantage point. And so James is qualified to give us practical life advice. James, he's, he's, he's the guy that can really give that advice. So here we're going to move a little further into chapter 1 and wrestle with a question that I think we've all probably faced. So if you take out your listening guide that, that you received when you, when you came in. There's this question on there. It is, what should we do when we're tempted? What should we do when we're tempted? If we can answer this question, and if we can walk away today with the right perspective and an effective plan, then I I really could see this bringing us immediate help because no doubt everyone here in this room is tempted. And we face temptation. This week you're going to be tempted. This month you're going to be tempted. Maybe today you're going to be tempted multiple times. And so knowing how to deal with temptation is extremely helpful. You may, you may or may not be concerned about temptation. I realize some people, it's just they don't let temptation bother them. It, it's, it's easy to dismiss temptation because it's so common in our culture. And so sometimes we think, oh, what's the big deal? It's everybody's tempted and no big deal. Sometimes we minimize temptation. It's like a mom or a grandma's cookie jar. I don't know if anybody had a problem taking cookies from the cookie jar or candy from the candy dish at grandma's house. You know, I did. I had a hard time with that, you know. It was like stuffing it into the pockets and the candy's disappearing. I don't know if anybody... But, but with that, you, you grow up thinking, oh, it's no big deal. Temptation's no, no big deal. You know, we, we probably ha- have our own versions of that story. Just subtle temptation accounts that don't seem to be very you know, major. But as we're going to see in just a moment, as James lays this out, there is so much at stake when, when we're tempted. There is so much at stake in your life when we're tempted. We're actually going to launch by looking at the, the last verse that we looked at last week. Verse 12 from chapter 1. So James 1.12. This lays out our very first point. When we're tempted... The very first thing is to remember the the bigger picture of how God grows us. Okay, remember the bigger picture. What is God doing on a much larger level in your life? Where is He taking your life? What is He trying to mature in you? If if when we're tempted, we realize like this is part of my growth, this is part of my process. Learning how to endure this. Learning what He's doing through this. He's using this. And last week we had a panel of guys up here. We had six guys on the stage last week. And they helped me introduce the book of James and this idea of pressure points that we face in life. And each of them, they, they really had a lot to say about this area and this point. That God is doing something in us. He's, through pressure, He is growing us. He's, he's helping us mature. Look at what James says in verse 1, or in verse 12. James writes this. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Whenever the trial of temptation specifically comes our way, the pressure weighs so heavily on us, and it feels like the temptation and the pressure is just going to crush us. Uh, But James is saying, look, it doesn't have to. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast, who remains and endures under the, the trial of temptation. Uh, there's there's a reward that this can bring, as we learn to endure, as we learn to bear up under all this pressure. The word steadfastness, we defined it last week as um, bearing up under extreme pressure and weight. That's that's the what the Greek word means that we that we call endurance or steadfastness. It's where there's heavy weight pushing down on someone. It's about to crush them, but they stand under that pressure. They don't. Uh, it doesn't crush them. They they hold their ground. They don't allow that pressure to destroy them or to send them running, looking for a trouble-free life. They, they remain under the pressure. Also, they don't look for someone else to take the pressure away from them. They, uh, but they withstand the test. And even if you look at your life, we all can look back at our life and we can see moments of temptation that resulted in us caving in, us giving in to our desires Giving into the temptation, and we we actually can get back up. And you're here because you've gotten back up. That temptation may have, you know, ensnared you and and knocked you down. You cave in, but you, you got back up. You're here because you got back up, and you're, you're you're wanting to endure under trial to be the kind of person who who receives God's help. We don't have to be defined by our past feelings. We can actually remember what God is doing on a much larger scale. He he sees things from the big picture, where He's taking our lives. And we can stand firm the next time, and the next time He can help us endure. That's why James is saying, blessed is the man who perseveres under this, or who who remains steadfast under this trial. God is doing something. And so, he's, He's preparing, if you know Christ, He's preparing you to where... The crown of eternal life. This, this whole life is, is preparation for the next life. Everything you're facing, all the challenges, all the temptation, all the pressure, it is preparation to wear the crown of eternal life. And so, knowing where we're headed really helps us in the here and now. So, that's the starting point, is remembering kind of where I'm headed, what God is doing through this. Second thing here is this. When you're tempted, don't blame God. That's what James says. Don't blame God. It's not his fault that we're being tempted. Okay? In the middle of temptation, we tend to look for someone to point the blame at. It's his fault. It's their fault. It's his fault. You know, We're tempted to blame God. Oftentimes we pull back from God and we start blaming him for our circumstances or for some other reason. Look at verse 13. James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God actually allows us to walk through testing and temptation. He allows us to walk through it, but he is never the source of temptation. God is not manipulative. He's not trying to trap us into sin. Sometimes we have this image in our mind that that God is this cosmic killjoy who's cruel and he's he's up in the heavens experimenting with us. He's oh, shaking a little bit of this to their life and he's like this mad scientist and he's you know, he's pouring things into our lives and He just—he's not out to get you. So, whenever the thought of God is tempting me comes to your mind, you have to refuse the thought as a lie. You have to just say that is—that thought is not true. That is a lie. Let me get that out of my head. I reject that thought. That's not in line with what how God reveals Himself to us. He does not—he's not the source of temptation. God's not experimenting with you. You know, questioning God's goodness is, is one of the roots of this thought of blaming God. That's, that's what's at the root of it, is the, the thought or the question of, is God really good? Can God really be trusted? Is God really f- for me? When we start believing that thought, we're questioning God in His goodness. And this is actually the lie that Satan, in the form of a serpent, used when he was tempting Eve in the garden. He said to Eve, God is playing a cruel game with you. He's withholding something good, something something that you really want. He's restricting you from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, that's cruel. It's getting her to doubt and question the goodness of God. That is still the lie that we often want to run to when we're tempted. We, we can buy that lie. So fight that. Fight the urge to blame God, that God is... Um, like God is, is out to get you. Next, James says, basically, understand this. Understand that our desires can take us down a very destructive path. Our desires can take us down a very destructive path. And I want to illustrate this in some different ways. Temptation is quite destructive. It can be very devastating. Look at how James describes the process of temptation and where it leads. It says this in verses 14 and 15. You know, it's not God, God's not to blame. Verse fourteen says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Temptation one way to define temptation is this it's the enticement of our desires. Temptation is the enticement of, of my desires. A temptation, though, if you look at this, look at the way this verse lays out. There's a process here. Okay? But temptation rarely comes in the form of its offspring. What's temptation's offspring, according to this? It gives birth to sin, and that brings forth death. The offspring of temptation is death, but temptation rarely comes in that, in that form. It comes in a cookie. The cookie jar. It's harmless. It's a piece of candy, you know. It's not like the cookie of death, you know. You you don't crack open the thing and read death on the cookie. No, it's 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 enticing. What I it's it's enticing. I don't see that that this is leading somewhere. This this behavior, this action, buying this thought line, you know this this line of thinking. This is leading me somewhere. It often. Temptation often wears a mask, is what James is saying. So we naturally just mistake temptation as, that's harmless. That's actually part of the intentional effort of our enemy to entice us and to lure us away. And he's aiming to bring the most harm, the destructive. Um, he wants to bring destruction. Lure and enticed. these two words up here in verse 14. These in the Greek, these are used as hunting and fishing metaphors, okay? Lured and enticed. Some of you probably fished before and you've used, you've used different baits. You, this isn't working, so we'll try this bait. And that's not working, we'll try this bait. Or, or hunting, you know, you use different things to attract animals. You know, you, you use this idea. Think about this in terms of temptation now. Have you ever tried to catch one of these animals? You know, there might be a few rat lovers, rodent lovers, so I'm, I'm gonna be careful on this one. You know, I did have a pet, I had two pet rats until one ate the other one, and then I had one pet rat, and then, once again, rats, there you go. Skimpy and Wimpy, I named them. <laughs> I can't remember which one ate the other one, but, so hungry, it ate part of its cage as well. So, you know, rats can eat through things, right? When they get in your house, you wanna get rid of them, right? I mean, they they are nasty, right? Now, have you ever tried to catch a rat? I have. I've tried to catch a rat before. Traps, you know, uh, broomsticks, uh, hammers, you know, peanut butter, whatever you need, you know, to catch a rat. Okay? Now, if you Google it, How do you catch a rat? No no doubt you're going to find this is your top kind of plan. Poison, rat poison, decon. This is like the top rat killer poison, okay? Now, if you were to be able to see this on the box, on the front right, bottom right, it it gives you the active ingredients or the ingredients. Rat poison has about 99.9% rat food and and less than 1% poison. Ninety-nine percent rat food and one percent poison, because it's enticing. They have no idea what's in there, so they're just, you know, ooh, I, I got the jackpot! Hey, guys, come here, got the jackpot. They have no idea. This is slowly killing them. That's James's point. Temptation rarely comes in the form of its offspring. Death. We just, oh, it's just a cookie. We start feasting on whatever we're tempted to do and it's not a big deal. It's powerful, James is saying. This is destructive. It has the potential to destroy and even kill us. The imagery here is so powerful we should take heed and we should understand that this is, a, this, this is a, not just an accidental thing, this is a very intentional part of a process to lure us away in order to destroy us and people who are precious to us. Destroy all the work we put in. Destroy all the the plans we've made. Destroy the hopes and the future and things that we had. That the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. One of the most famous preachers, Baptist preacher named Charles Spurgeon, he wrote this on this passage. This was from his from his uh, kind of a, a a devotional thought that he had. It's written in Old English, so it's, it's the, the, the English is a little bit awkward when we read it, but here we go. His own desire, meaning a person's, a person's own desire, grown strong and hot till it cometh to be a lusting. We don't say things like that. I cometh to be a lusting at this point. But he's saying, you know, it, it just gets strong, our desires get strong and hot, and then it becomes... Lust and lust is I've got to have it. I have to have it. I need it. I can't move forward until I have it. And we, we, it's tunnel vision until we satisfy that. Spurgeon says this draws a man away. This is temptation. It draws a man away. It baits the hook, and man swallows it and is thus entrapped and enticed. Once he baits the hook, we're trapped. We're caught, and sometimes, as the scripture says, destroyed. Death, death comes. This leads us to another response. Not from James, but just throughout Scripture. When you study Scripture, you see this is one of the ways we we battle temptations. Flee tempting situations. Certain situations, you need to flee. You need to get out of the situation as quickly as you can. You don't linger by the cookie jar, by the candy dish, by the rat food. You, You get away from... The temptation. We find this idea in, in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament we see this fleshed out in some in some stories that, that I think remain with us. One of those stories is Joseph. Joseph was a man, had a bunch of brothers. At one point his brothers him being the favorite, he gets sold into slavery by his brothers. And he, he becomes, he eventually gets owned by this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar takes a liking to Joseph because he's very responsible. God's hand is on Joseph's life. God has a plan for Joseph's future. God wants to use him on a much bigger, you know, larger scale. And so Joseph is working for this man, Potiphar, and he rises to prominence in Potiphar's house. Potiphar says, You're, I want to trust you. I want, I trust you with my, with my, with my household and I, you know, basically you've been faithful and trustworthy and so Joseph is, is leading the house affairs basically and at one point Potiphar's very attractive wife. Now, now Joseph. He's he's not married he's not he's a single guy at this point. He notices Potiphar's wife. No doubt he notices her early on. She's an attractive woman, but she's married. She's out of bounds. One day Potiphar's wife um you know, she's she notices Joseph and she sees an opportunity to get with Joseph. And so she starts advancing on Joseph who is all alone in the house at one point and they're alone together and she Puts the moves on him, and basically, what does Joseph do? What does he do? Have you' read the story? He runs, he runs out of there. he doesn't like do this, he doesn't get up on a ladder. hey where's Potiphar? you know, he <laughs> out there you know looking through the window, <laughs> see how far he is away Where's Potiphar? He doesn't ask her questions like where's where's Potiphar? you know oh, he's out fishing hunting today, or you know he he doesn't. He doesn't say, uh, hey there. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't talk to her. We don't, like he, you know, put yourself in the situation. Very attractive woman coming on to you. He he doesn't linger in the situation. He flees the situation. He takes off. She's got, you know, she takes him by the robe basically saying, here we go. And, and, and he's, 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 he's out of there. His, his robe is left in her hands. She drops the robe. She screams rape and he gets arrested and goes to prison. Finds himself in prison. Finds himself in prison and then God gives him the ability to... to basically see some things about um, what God is doing in the future. And so he rises to prominence in this prison, eventually lands himself as the number two guy in Egypt. He's serving in Pharaoh. He's his number two guy. God tells Joseph that famine is coming upon all the land, all the countries around there are going to be affected. And so he tells Joseph, tell Pharaoh to start storing up grain because there's going to be basically a famine and you need to be prepared. So, so Joseph says, well, you know, we should do this. So he begins to do grain saving plan. And they start storing up and storing up and storing up. Sure enough, years later, famine strikes and all of the countries around are dying. People are dying from starvation. The Israelites, Joseph's family, Joseph's basically his, his, his family, his brothers, his father, they hear that there's grain in Egypt. So they journey to Egypt and... Because God used Joseph, there was a plan to save God's people, the people of Israel. If, if Joseph had not fled that situation, and God had His hand, his hand on Joseph's life, God had a, a much bigger picture in mind as far as what He was going to do through this through this man. This was the test: flee temptation. Now, David, another person, the king of the king of Israel, at one point he should have. It was springtime; it was a time where kings would go and make war. He should have been out with his troops advancing making war and instead he decides to take it easy and he stay back in his palace and he's up on the rooftop of his, of his palace one day and he's walking through the, by his roof you know, near his, the edge of the roof he looks and he sees a beautiful woman bathing on her roof um, nearby now Joseph in that situation he fled right? he fled David, he, he lingers to the point to where he have I've got to have it. He starts lusting. He gets some of his servants. He's the most powerful person. Who's that? Oh, that's that's the wife of one of your commanders. We'll go get her. He brings her in, has sex with her. This ends up, you know, basically he lingered by the bait and the desire grew so strong until he could handle it no longer and Snap. He was hooked. And all sorts of death came to his family line through that decision to compromise and not flee. So flee. Watch out. Watch out for people. Watch out for habits from your past that could drag you off and entice you. We all have them. We need to be wise. In this area of what, what, what entices me? What, what stirs up my desires? We need to know what those things are so that we know what we need to flee. There's some, there's some limits we need to place in our life. There's some boundaries we need to set up. There's some fences to, to put up because this area is so, so powerful. My third year of marriage. Life was going great. My marriage was, was going well. You know, you're, you're in your third year kind of working things out of communication and conflict and, but things are going well. God, It was providing for us financially. Like, I had a good job. My wife had a good job. And things were going well. One day I come home from work and I get a a Facebook instant kind of message, messenger from an ex girlfriend. And it just said, Hey, stranger. And I was just like, (laughs) What do I do with this situation? It took me back. And I, this is, this is a, this is a, this is a test. What do you do in that situation? I, I called two people. I called one of my good friends, who's here, Juan over there, and I called my pastor, Randy, and I just said, I don't, I need some help in this moment to know how to handle this. And uh, my pastor said, Josh, that is a trap. That is a trap. And it, my friend helped me figure out how to basically deal with the thought in prayer. And then my pastor helped me figure out how to just deal with the action of responding. My, my pastor said, why don't you and your wife just send something back? Just, we're doing fine. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, happily married, we're doing fine. I think it was something like that. And uh, you see, I had heard from family and friends that her my this ex-girlfriend, her life was really unraveling and falling apart. And so there's that Maybe I should call and check in on her. Maybe, you know, I, I'm not going to go down the wrong road, but maybe I should. Well, that's, 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 that's playing next to, to rat poison, basically. And so, <clears throat> what is it for you that, that, that maybe is, is, is tempting you at this point? Or what are the patterns or the people that are tempting you at this point? That, that God would say, hey, flee, flee. All, all of James's instruction up to this point remind us to see the seriousness of our desires and respond wisely whenever we face temptation. Look at the next verse, verse sixteen. Verse sixteen says, basically, James encourages us to guard against deception. Guard against deception. James one sixteen. Do not be deceived, he says, my beloved brothers. Don't be deceived. When we want something really, really bad, our desires can cause us to not see clearly. We get deceived. As soon as our desires get stirred up, like our, our sane thinking, our reasonable sense, it goes out the window. We just lock onto our goal, and we're just tunnel vision, and we just all we see is this thing that I really, really want. And we're prone to be deceived. We don't see clearly, especially when we get to, to the point where we think getting what we want is the only thing that will make me feel complete. Or whole. This brings tremendous pressure on us when we want something that we don't have, like a relationship or a certain possession or someone to think about me in a certain way or a thing that I just have to have, a material object that I just have to have. James is reminding us, watch out for your desire. Once you get into heavy desire, you get deceived very quickly. And when you're deceived, you rarely know it. That's the, that's the thing about deception. You never know when you're in it because you've been deceived. So oftentimes it's other people that say, I think you're deceived here. I think you're deceiving yourself, Josh. I think you're deceiving yourself, friend. I care about you, but I think you're deceiving yourself. And we need friends, don't we, who will say that to us? I mean, A lot of you are shaking your heads because you've got situations in your life and you've got friends in your life who have maybe said that to you. I read this list. I want to share it with you. It's just a list of seven lethal assumptions. This was written by Pastor Andy Stanley. He pastors a church, a very large church in in Georgia. These are seven lethal assumptions that we can all tend to think and live out over time. I'd encourage you to write these down. I don't have these on the listening guide, but as I read this list, I realized these assumptions are all fueled by our desires and they are quite deceptive assumptions. So here's the first one. Number one, if I can find the right person, everything will be all right. If I can find the right person, the right person. I thought it was the right person. And then... I don't know if it's, yeah, I know I'm committed, but I don't think we're right for each other anymore. If I could just find the right person, then everything will be all right. Whenever you use a relationship as an escape strategy, you undermine the relationship. And relationships are not designed for rescue, they're not designed to rescue you. People are not going to be able to rescue you, and so this is a lethal assumption. Number two, my situation is unique. Have you said this? Have you thought this? My situation is unique. Th- this is what we like to say when we want to avoid good advice. Someone says, you know, I think that's a bad situation. I think you should flee. I don't think you should reply to that in this way. I don't think you should go there. I, th- I think you should... They don't, they don't understand. They have no idea what they're talking about. I'm, I'm different. My situation is unique. We start thinking that or we whisper that. We walk away and we say, yeah, they, didn't. they don't understand. The truth is, you're not the exception to the rule. You are, uni- you are unique, but your situation is not unique. Your situation is not unique. Number three, it's not right, but it makes me happy. And God wants me to be happy. This is a lethal assumption. God wants me to be happy. The reality is if it's not right then things will not turn out right. It, 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 it you know sin plus sin does not equal God's blessing and God's best. Well, I know it's not right but it, it makes me happy and God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? Sin plus sin stepping out of bounds and stepping out of bounds does not put you in a place where you're in bounds with God and where you experience his good blessing. If it's not right, things won't turn out right. Number four, if only I had fill in the blank, then I would be satisfied. This is think in terms of possessions, material possessions. If only I had blank, a bigger house, a nicer car, a new car, a different car, you know, a faster internet, more channels, a larger screen, another instrument, A better instrument, another effect. If only I had one more. I mean, I I can get into this with tools. Sure, I could borrow the tool, but if only I had that tool. If only I had it for myself, then I wouldn't have to, what, call a friend and borrow it. Then I would really be satisfied. Things don't satisfy. If you feed an appetite, the appetite grows. We're never satisfied. The eyes of man, Scripture says, are never satisfied. We're never satisfied. The more you have, the more you want. Every Everything I buy has obligations with it. I buy a new one of these, now all of a sudden it costs more to maintain that new thing. I'm like, well, it never cost that much to fix this last one I had. Well, it's because it's, it's got some other strings attached to it. And I'm not saying don't, Buy new things when you need the new thing, but this this is an empty pit. It's never satisfied. Number five, I owe is better than I want. I owe is better than I want. Think about this in terms of purchases again. We would love to satisfy the desire, the want. And and we're okay to owe for a long, long time if we can satisfy the desire for what we want. So the the, the lie is I owe is better. Why should I delay experiencing it? I, I just need to experience it, and then I'll just... I'll oh, we tend to think I owe is better than I want. This is backwards. I want having that unmet desire is always better than I owe, because every time we owe, we're in a new bondage to someone else. We we are a slave to a new creditor. We're in debt. We're we're you know, and there's a master when there, when we're in a that situation, there's the slave master mentality where someone else owns a part of me. It's I want is always better than I owe. Number six, my secret is safe with me. We've all seen this thought probably explode. But we tend to think, my secret is safe with me. No one will ever know. Well, secrets leak. They leak, and when they do, they sink Relationships. Your secrets, my secrets, they leak. And, and when they do, people get hurt. Number seven, he says that this. Sex will solve it. I know there's these boundaries. I know I shouldn't. I know we're not supposed to. I know that's out of bounds. But sex will solve it. It sure seems like this would really help. But the, the reality is sex will complicate it. Sex will make it even more difficult to do the right thing because of the deception and because of the obligation that comes with sex. Out of bounds. Sex outside of God's plan for sex. And so, with all of these different things, these are lethal because they cause us to live in the same cycle over and over again. These thoughts are all driven by the desires. Have you ever thought any of these lethal assumptions? Look at the list. Just Have you thought these things before? These are normal thoughts in our culture, which is why it's so easy to be deceived by them. They're so subtle. And they all tell us, hey, this is how... You get what you really want. Look again at James 1.16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. He can't be any more straightforward. James is straight to the punch. Do not be deceived. The word deceived is the Greek word planeo. And it basically, it's where we get our word planet from. But there's a few things about this. One is, it, it, it translates into English as uh, deceived. But Satan is sometimes referred to as the deceiver. And this, this, a form of this root is used to describe him as the deceiver. It has the connotation of wandering about or, or leading or going astray. And that's what Satan does. He, he, he's leading people astray. He's keeping people wandering. Planeo is where we get the word, the English word planet. Okay? Planetes is the Greek word and it's where we get our, English word planet and planets are known as the things that are wandering about in the heavens they're wandering in the heavens and you guide navigationally you guide by the stars because you can trust them fixed positions through the heavens versus a planet it is a wandering you know it's, it's, it's called like a wandering star in the heavens if you guide by a planet that will throw you off because it's leading you astray, basically. It's not, it's not moving in a fixed arrangement. It's, and so we can wander off. Our desires can steer us off course. We can't leave our desires unchecked. So James, he just pleads with us, be on guard against deception as your desires get stirred up. You have to put your desires on a leash. Practically, we have to ask a lot of questions when it comes to our desires. You know, Do I really want what God wants? That's a big question to wrestle with. Do I really want what God wants? I, I, I feel like I need this, but do, Josh, do you really want what God wants? Or would this action please Him? Does this decision, does this attitude represent what is pure, what is right, according to God and His ways? When we're in the middle of enticement and we lock on to a goal, it's really hard to wade through those kinds of questions. But if you can answer these when the desire comes up, that is this really what God wants? That can keep you from getting led astray by your desires. James, he closes his thoughts here with a really helpful reminder. And it's, it's found in verses 17 and 18. Basically, turn to God and experience His goodness and His help. Turn to God. Whenever we're faced with desires and temptations, keep turning to God in the midst of it. And remember who He really is. Look at how James describes God. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. In the middle of, of our distorted thinking when we want something and, or someone so bad, Remember, God wants to deal with you out of His love and out of His goodness. If I turn to God with my desires, I may not get what I want right now, but I will find His blessing in the long run. We, we want the life that God blesses. We want the good stuff in life. It, it never comes through... Turning away from God and going our own way in life, check you know this picture is very, very helpful. James, in these verses that we just read here, is urging us to not give in to temptation, but to look to God for help in the middle of the battle with our desires. James's description really reminds us that God is good. He's a good, good father. He's a good heavenly Father who gives perfect gifts. He will deal with me and you out of His goodness. If I give in to temptation, if I give in to sin, I may get what I want in the moment, but I will not meet God right there. Again, sin plus sin does not equal God's blessing. God is completely good, but His will is never found in sin. There's no shadow in the character of God. Instead, He gives perfect gifts. James speaks of the word of truth. This is a reference to the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is this. it's The good news is that in Jesus Christ, we can experience forgiveness and experience a new life. We can relate to our Heavenly Father. And if you've never done that, if you've never invited Jesus to lead your life, your whole eternal destiny hinges on that decision of making Jesus the Lord, the boss of your life. If you invite him to, to lead your life, then also he can help you fight against sin in a very new and different way. You actually can have the power of God working inside of you because the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of Christians. And that gives you the help that you really need. You know, if you're a Christ follower and you're thinking, I'm still losing the battle, I, I thought I made Jesus the Lord, and why am I still losing the battle? Well, you need to walk in the Spirit. That's a, that's a saying in the New Testament. What it basically means is you rely on God's resources every day. He's provided His Word. So read it. Read the Bible. Soak it in. Live it out. Let it challenge you. Let it speak to you. Then respond to it. Pray and ask God every day. God, would you help me? I need your help. As I face these temptations, as I face these situations I know I'm walking into today, would you give me the help that, you need, that I need? I can't do this on my own. If you rely on God's Resources and you 're walking in the spirit in that way, God gives you the help you need to keep enduring through temptation you 're going to have some trip ups, but get back up you can get back up on your feet and stand The picture here in, in James one twelve is there 's this blessing for the one who endures and stands these tests that come. We all need god 's help. Nobody here is going to be a self made man or woman you need god 's help. You cannot fight temptation on your own. You maybe have been burned by other people. Maybe you've been burned by your, your earthly mother and father. God is a good father who gives perfect gifts. You can trust him. You can rely on, on him. He longs to help you and I as we face temptation. I want to invite our worship team to join me up here on the stage. and We're going to take a look briefly at these next steps. We would love to, to see you applying scripture to your life. Here's three ways. Maybe God has already given you something very clear that He wants you to do. But here's three kind of suggestions to consider. The first one would be, turn to God and ask for help in the middle of a temptation this week. Turn to God. In the middle of it. Ask him, God, would you help me? I know you're doing something. Maybe keep this, this listening guide handy. Maybe work through that this week and just ask God to clarify where, where you see this coming to play in your life. But then turn to Him. When you need help, turn to Him. Ask Him to help you and deliver you from that temptation. Second, for the first time, I commit my life to Jesus and will follow Him as Lord. If you've been coming around here and you have been investigating Christianity, we we are really excited that you're here. And we, we plan for you to be here. And so if if you're at a point where you're, you, you've been considering this, we really have We don't put pressure on people to make decisions to follow Christ. What we do is we want to try to help clarify what the Bible says it means to really follow Him. And so many people that have come to Christ in our church, it's after several months of processing what that decision would mean for them. And so if you're at a point where you're ready to follow Christ, uh, on the back of your connection card, either you can check that next step that says for the first time, I connect, I commit my life to Jesus and follow Him as Lord. Or there's also a place on the back you can request more information about how to begin a relationship with Jesus. So either way, we will follow up with you this week. We would just love to... Uh, dialogue with you maybe over the phone or in person if you'd like something like that we could send you some things to really keep trying to clarify what this decision would mean we would love to talk with you even today if you'd like to come if you have questions our staff will be at the back table also next uh, week here's a passage you can read in advance as the next step read James 1 19 through 27 just begin to consider what God has to say in this next, next section of scripture and we'll we'll look at that together let's let's pray Father, thank you so much for your word and the help, God, that it gives to us. Your word cuts right through to the heart issues that we face. Our hearts are divided, Lord. Even for those of us who have yielded to Christ, we find ourselves with good desires and bad desires. Even for those who... who our Christians here, the Holy Spirit lives inside of them. We still find ourselves at war with desires that as as James says, they lead to destruction. So God, please deliver us, God, from temptation. Help us, Father, to flee situations that we need to. Help us to gain the right perspective in the moment. Even right now. When we're when we're thinking this through, we can plan for temptation. We can we can think through what where are the vulnerabilities in our lives? Father, would you just show us? Would you show us? Help us to, to to do exactly what you ask us to do in this area, God. Help us not to be deceived and tricked and fooled, trusting in ourselves, Lord. Help us to do life your way. We ask for your help and your protection from the evil one. We need your help, Lord Jesus. We ask for it. In your name we pray. Amen.